This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Welcome to Lends Me Your Ears. I'm Stephen Cook, arts reporter for the Chronicle Herald here in Halifax. I'm Karsten Knox, a blogger at Flaw in the Iris at halifaxbloggers.ca and the movie guru at CTV Morning Live. This is a movie podcast where we look at some current films and then examine some older titles that might be tangentially related and hopefully you'll learn something about some films you might not have seen before. On this episode of Lends Me Your Ears, we take a look down the gun barrel at the world's greatest movie franchise, James Bond 007. James Bond 007 is back in Spectre. Very exciting to have uh, Daniel Craig reprise the role for the fourth time. I don't know if it's going to be the last time or not. It'd be nice to think we'll get one more film out of him. I think he's contracted to do one more. But um, yeah, Spectre is, uh, of course, uh, a nod to the classic James Bond. And maybe for the first time in such a big way uh, since this reboot began. Of course, we had some some nods to it in the last film in Skyfall, especially with the, the Aston Martin making its appearance towards the end of the film. And uh, but but here they just dive full on into uh, James Bond geek uh, love land with uh, a film that's uh, being both praised and criticized for its uh, unending homages to uh, the great Bond uh, films and stories of yore, um, both the books and the uh, and the movies. And uh, I got to say, I, I watched it with my full on. 12-year-old Bond fan hat on. I have to say, I, I, I kind of put my, my critical feelings aside while I was watching it. And I think I think I really do need to see uh, this film again uh, a second time with a, with uh, maybe with the blinders off and um, <clears throat> really really take a look at the, the structure of the film and the, some of the, uh, the storyline inconsistencies and so on. But, uh, you know, as someone who's been watching these films since the mid-70s, I've, I, you know, I got to say it kind of hit all the pleasure points for me as far as these movies go. There's a lot about it to enjoy. I'll give you that. Yes. And I, I have pretty high expectations going into these films because because I really adore them and I think that Eon has done a great thing over the years. I mean, they've they've been so clever about how they've been able to sustain and keep relevant their their lead character by recasting and reimagining him and doing different things and, and taking some chances, I think, with the character. And I have huge respect for what they've accomplished. 53 years of a franchise. I mean, it's amazing. Amazing. Now, now, Spectre, this is going to be, I think, uh, as we get into this, might be a little spoiler heavy, I should probably <laughs> say. But, um, you know, the one thing about it, I think the thing that bothered me the most, and I'll just get it out of the way, and it's something that the the Craig Bonds, the Daniel Craig Bonds, the last four, have really tried to get into, is this personal side of him. They've tried to humanize him in a way, and, and I liked it at the beginning. I liked uh, Casino Royale because the psychology of of how why he was sort of embittered was explored in that film and why he was so contemptuous of women yes. <laughs> uh, all of that I think and I really understood it and I, I, I liked the way they did that um, but then every time every film they sort of double down to try to somehow connected to some personal aspect of his past or his his character and I I just don't really think that it needs that I think the I think that Bond's personal connection with the villain in this piece who is in fact I don't think anyone I don't think it's a spoiler for anyone at this point who's interested in Bond films he it is Blofeld 
is the villain and they totally do a, a Cumberbatch's con deal where they try to hide his <laughs> yes. his identity but it's so clear it just doesn't make any sense why they would bother because anyone who's a real died in the wool bond fan will be able to tell yeah and He's anyone the head of specter for crying <laughs> yeah and anyone who who isn't won't care so yeah. so it yeah but uh but yeah, the fact they, they try to set up this personal connection between Bond and Blofeld that is just kind of ridiculous. It doesn't bring anything that's good to the film. Um, so that really that really bothers me. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just feel like one of uh, Bond's greatest characteristics is his mystique. And I think that if we get too deep into his personal life, he loses that. Uh, and I, I think the thing I also like about him is that he's he's motivated by duty to queen and country and he is his job and i feel that uh that it excuses his ruthlessness and it explains it and and i i just feel a little bit like this this need to connect his character to some sort of personal you know is his his foster brother it just feels kind of trite and it feels it makes blofeld feel less less uh of a threat and less of a megalomaniac it feels it kind of feels like he's you know he he needs to he's motivated by spite which <laughs> i don't know just makes him seems less less impressive so yeah this these are the problems i have granted i still <laughs> i still really had a pretty good time at the film and i think i think a lot of what they try to do to try to expand it after skyfall is like okay time for a, a bigger budget more fun more playful bond and they've definitely delivered in that regard the opening sequence in mexico city is one of the greatest uh, pre-credit sequences in a bond film i think that i can remember that that tracking shot is just jaw-dropping I, I think I got so excited by that opening sequence in Mexico City. I just kind of like was just set up for for the film, and I, you know, I I just kind of let the ride carry me through. And and, and you know, the, the the it did bother me a little bit that uh, you know Underhagen or whatever Blofeld's pseudonym is, um, that you know that he's kind of motivated by these weird jealousy and daddy issues. It, it does <laughs> yeah. make him seem like a bit a little bit less of what we you know, know Blofeld to be as a, you know, kind of a crazy genius megalomaniac mm -hmm. yeah. as opposed to kind of a spiteful stepbrother, uh, you know, <laughs> you know turned into a Cinderella story. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I like watching Christoph Waltz chew the scenery. So I kind of elided over <laughs> a lot of that stuff. Sure. Um, you know, it just, if it maybe had been a lesser actor, it would have bothered me a little bit more, I guess. But, um, you know, it, it, it does, it felt like, Daniel Craig in a Roger Moore <laughs> era Bond film in, in some ways. And that's not, I've got no problem with that at all. You know, like, myself. like Man with the Golden Gun, where not everything lines up exactly. You yes. Know, like, but, um, you know, it, it, it's, of course, Spectre was an ongoing thing in, in the books and, and uh, then into the, uh, into the early movies. So it'd be interesting to see if they can carry that forward. Uh, at all yeah <laughs> with the I, I, hope, thing. I hope they do I mean they left a couple of key characters still alive at least yes. uh, so that's there's always the potential of that and I like that it's open ended which I, I appreciate and uh, I, I also like that it's a beautiful looking film they got uh, Hoyte van Hoytema to sh direct to do the director of photography on this he he did uh, did Interstellar and Her so he has a very great sense of mood and lighting and I, just the opening act uh, there's a shot where we follow 
Monica Bellucci out of her palatial home into her garden while these two hitmen, hitmen are following her out. And I just love that scene. I just think it's gorgeous. Though, and I, I, it was wonderful to see Monica Bellucci as well for a lot of reasons. Not only is the fact that she's just a t- terrific presence on screen, I sort of wish we could see a bit more of her. She's there and then she's gone and, you know, she, she's, she doesn't die, which is actually kind of a... a <laughs> that's, that's a positive thing for yes, women for in women a, Bond, Bond movies. movies. But uh, but she, we don't see much of her after just a couple of scenes, which seems like a little bit of a waste. Um, this is a movie I feel that has its, its front loaded with the good parts. I feel that after about halfway through, it starts to flag. And and I think part of the problem is that the, the sort of leading lady uh, is a lot less interesting than she needed to be. I, I sort of feel like... like um, Although she's got a great sort of smoky look, Leah Sadu, it doesn't have a lot of chemistry with Daniel Craig. Um, and, you know, there, there are other things about it that, that kind of bug me. I, I feel like the location cinematography is gorgeous, but Sam Mendes is more interested in, in highlighting the locations than having a genuine, sen- genuine sense of action. Like uh, like the car chase, which had the incredible supercars traveling at high speeds through Rome, <laughs> looks great, but it's actually not that exciting of a car chase. And, and it ends with with Bond doing this crazy stunt that's mostly off camera. <laughs> well, you know? Oh, were you Jackson? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm just sort of like, well, uh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I, but I, then on the on the on the positive side, I really like the fact they had a, had a almost silent henchman. You know, the that the, we weren't required. We didn't. The film didn't end with you know fisticuffs between Bond and and uh, Blofeld, which would have been ridiculous. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, you need someone who can actually give him a, something to worry about, and Dave Bautista can do that. Yeah, I mean, he's basically Odd Job. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Return of Odd Job. Who I, I think he had some dialogue, but you know, not much. And um, well, you know, like every if you if you look at this film, if you take it apart, almost every segment of it is a an homage to something that has already happened in the Bond film. Yes. You know, and, and that's, of course, you know, one of its greatest thrills and one of its, its greatest weaknesses at the same time. And yeah. You, you get a little obsessed at trying to figure out, okay, well, what is that referencing to? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, like they their safe house is, what, Hildebrand or something? Which is yes. something out of the... I don't think that ever shows up in the movies. I think that's something directly out of the books. Yes, that's right. Um, that's right. You know, and then the, the, the ejecting at the end of the car chase, well, that's kind of like Goldfinger. And... Mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the, the, of course, his, his base is in a crater. Like you only <laughs> yes. li- you only live twice. I mean, you know, you're just kind of checking things off yeah, as you go that's along. Right. There's a there's a um, uh, mountain top spa in Austria, yeah, which is of, totally on Secret, Secret Service. Service. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of those nods, and I'm I was pretty okay with all of them. I think I just I just wish I'd it had felt more essential to stand on its own. I think in the end, uh, and I I would I would totally vote for Craig coming back. I think there I think he could continue the story. I think if if Mr. Hanks the the henchman suddenly shows up in the pre credit sequence of the next film well, to true, do some yeah. some bad things because he could still be alive. Um, I think that would be uh, I would be I would forgive a lot. Yeah, well, and of course we have that train fight, which is from Russia with Love. Yes, all over again. Yes, or and uh, Spy Who Loved Me. There was a train. Oh, that's that. true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no. There's a lot there to appreciate for a long time Bond fans. I I just don't. I didn't think it all held together. No, um, no. It it doesn't hold up to a lot of scrutiny. It's it's it's. You kind of have to. If you if you see it, go just go with the flow, <laughs> the roller coaster aspect of it the first time around, and maybe see it again and yeah, with a with a more open eyes. I guess the second time around, but but I like I I I like Leah Sadu maybe a bit more than than you did in this film. I mean, she's uh, the chemistry probably isn't the same on the same order as 
with Diana Rigg, for example, and on Her Majesty's Secret no, Service. No, not quite. She's Diana Rigg is still the greatest of all Bond, Bond leading ladies. But uh, you know, I, I think she sells her part at least. Uh, you know, I thought she was, you know, projected in intelligence and and uh, you know, kind of a, a go to spirit here. And it was nice to see the return of Mister White for one more scene. Yes, and he's been yes. kind of a unifying. Uh, thread throughout these first four Bond films, and of course, as 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 everyone has been fond of saying, well, at least it's not as bad as Quantum of Solace. <laughs> you know, I rewatched Quantum of Solace recently, and it was a lot more fun than I remembered. And I think, although it's a whole other conversation, a whole other podcast, yeah. but but I think that um, it didn't wound up on any of our best Bond lists, which we will get to shortly. Uh, I really like there real some genuinely cool moments. Uh, it's it's great to see Felix Leiter again, and uh, and have him be in a position where he has to sort of make a decision between his loyalty to Bond and his loyalty to his to the company, mm. the CIA. That whole thing is great. And Leiter is is mentioned in in uh, Spectre, but unfortunately he doesn't make an appearance. Yeah, it was my friend in the CIA, the CIA yeah. or something like that. A very yeah. very passing reference. But uh yeah. yeah, it'd be it'd be nice to see some more of those elements come back in a way that fits continuity rather than just trying to cram as many references <laughs> yes yeah for future reference uh, uh, I mean we we will go and see Bond till the cows come home as long as they keep making them but uh, but yes that I think we could do another another idea for another podcast is 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 for when the next one's announced we'll do we'll sit down and give them pointers on what they should do the next <laughs> exactly. time out um, okay so we're gonna go on to talk about our favorite Bond movies now they, this is number 24 I guess 25 if you count the never say never again 26 if you count the original uh, Casino, Casino Royale. Royale. So yeah. that's a lot of Bond uh, to cover. I've seen all of the Bond movies, some multiple times. I think probably all of them at least twice or three times. Um, and I, I assembled a, a list of five of my favorites. And, uh, and I realized that because I've been watching Bond since I was a kid and I was a kid when Roger Moore was in the role, Moore, even though I recognize that Sean Connery is probably a much better Bond, a much better fit for the character. I have a very soft spot, a really soft spot in my heart for Moore, and, and as a result, two of his films are on my list. Oh, yeah. Well, I was I came of age in the Moore era as well. I, I think I first became aware, aware of James Bond probably around the time of Man with the Golden Gun, but I was not old enough or not deemed old enough by my parents to see that one. Um, so although I had a friend who was my age, in school whose parents took him to see Man with the Golden Gun. I was very jealous. <laughs> um, you know, they were a little more forward thinking, I guess. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, and I saw the TV ads and just Christopher Lee and, you know, Hervé Villachez and all this, you know, it just looks so cool. And, uh-huh. you know, the, the, the AMC Matador <laughs> doing <laughs> the spiral jump. Uh-huh. You know, we had an AMC Hornet uh, at the time. So <laughs> seeing James Bond drive an AMC, however improbable it seems now, uh, was, was deemed pretty cool in our house. But um, but yeah, it wasn't until Spy Love Me I got to see one in the theater. Now, mm-hmm. prior to that, I'd seen, I think Thunderball was the very first one I got to see from start to finish on the ABC Sunday Night Movie. And, uh, you know, so I was I was hooked on yes. that one. In. Now, Thunderball, of the of the early Conneries, maybe hasn't aged no, so well. it's it, not. It's probably the weakest of the it's, bunch. Uh, it's slow. It's clunky. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, uh, you know, I, obviously it was my first one that I got to see. I was allowed to stay up and watch all the way through. So I... Have that certain fondness for moments in the film, but you mm. know, you know, good lord, underwater scuba fights are <laughs> never a good idea. So what what are you, what's on your list? Give me give me one from your list of five. Uh, okay, well let's start at the start at the bottom, I guess. Um, my number five would uh, 
would, would probably have to be, I guess, Spy Love Me because it was the first one I saw in the theater. And, uh, you know, I had the Corgi replica of the Lotus Esprit that shot missiles out the back. And unfortunately, I took it in the bathtub and the springs seized up. And, <laughs> you know, I had to take it back to the store because it, it was a submarine in the movie. How yeah, this, yeah, I know, totally. But, uh, yeah, it, there was nothing on the packaging saying don't immerse this in water. You could, pr- yeah, you press <laughs> the button and the thing would spring up and the, the like, fins would yeah, pop Yeah, the fins up. would pop out yeah, and return to a submarine. I had, I had that one, too. Um, yeah. You know, and I, you know, I, I should have just left the darn thing in the box. But what did I know? Yeah. But uh, that, yeah, that was. I mean, I saw, again, first one in the theater, big. I mean, and that's a good one to see. Like it was, you know, they. I think after the cheapness of uh, Man with the Golden Gun, which really does look like a pretty cheap film uh, compared to the ones that came before it. Um, you know, it wasn't even widescreen really. It was shot in like wasn't shot in Panavision, so it just looked bad. Yes. <laughs> you know, it, and it, it faded and weird and. And, you know, low-budget sets and everything. So they decided to really go big. You know, if we're going to save this franchise, we're going to go big. We're going to have a strong female co-star with Barbara Bach. And, uh, you know, the submarine base was, like, the biggest set at Pinewood. I think they had to build a whole new soundstage. Yeah, that's right. For that. And, uh, you know, it was just impressive from start to finish. You know, plus it was it was sexy. Uh, you know, I think I liked the, the theme song, the Carly Simon song at the time. Yeah, it's great. It's you it's know. a classic 70s song, even separate from the films. But in terms of, of Bond songs, it's one of the best. Yeah. and, and no, Nobody does it better. And it's got a great villain, too. <laughs> you know, the, yes. The whole idea of this this shit. I mean, you know, they, then they kind of stole that idea for from another movie where he's, instead of capturing ships, they're capturing spaceships. I think in You Only Live Twice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's lot, very similar to You Only Live Twice. There's a lot of recycling throughout the, the whole series. Yes, but uh, but you know, I just liked every aspect of it, and, and you know, the, the sea base, and and uh, you know, then there was a sexiness of it, which is probably why I wasn't allowed to see uh, Man the Golden Gun initially. <laughs> But, uh, you know, up to that point, I'd probably just seen Disney movies and so on. So that was a big leap for me as well. Well, I have to say The Spy Who Loved Me is number two on my list of favorite Bonds. Um, Probably because it feels like more than any of the other 24 Bond movies, except maybe Goldfinger, The Spy Who Loved Me is the most Bondness, if that's a word. It's a combination of elements that just makes it pop. It's about scale. It's, uh, as you mentioned, this huge sets. It's about gadgets, uh, the the submersible car. Um, it's about, you know, just uh, ex- exotic locations. Uh, it was directed by Lewis Gilbert and written by Christopher Wood and uh, Richard Maybaum, who is the guiding hand of so many Bond movies in the screenwriting. He's involved as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was shot in Egypt with this a lot of great sequences in Egypt and in Sardinia. And it introduced Bond, uh, introduced Bond to, to Jaws. That's his, right. It's like the, the most frightening iconic uh bond henchman probably ever i think so so it just feels like it got everything right kurt jurgens a stromberg he's plans to destroy civilization and restart human life beneath the waves it's totally out there as far as a megalomaniac uh plot but his his idea to use nuclear weapons stolen from british and american submarines and then uh, have them shoot uh you know start a nuclear war i think i love that uh, <laughs> that uh that plot and uh and i like the fact that in the in the pre-credit sequence, which is this crazy uh, ski jump, um, Bond uh, killed the lover of Agent Triple X from uh, from <laughs> from Russia, and so they've got this. You don't know whether she's going to kill him or fall in love with him, and I I think that's great too. Um, it. Uh, it also it was the first time he drove a Lotus Esprit, which I thought it became an iconic car. And I think I think it's great that that they tried at least in that era try to stick to British made 
supercars. Uh, I never really understood why they decided to go into BMWs later when the Brosman <laughs> years. It's no way that Bond should drive a German car. I'm just, I just don't feel that's right. Uh, and uh, recently, uh, actually, a, a friend of mine showed me the. Um, Alan Partridge, uh, uh, <laughs> if I had any doubt about whether or not this was a great film, Alan Partridge clip of him talking about how um, how great The Spy Who Loved Me is the greatest movie ever, and he does this whole performance <laughs> art piece about about that. It's worth looking up on YouTube if you're looking for a good laugh. Steve Coogan uh, talking about The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, so so I would say on and every part of it is just wonderful. Well, it certainly saved the series from being looked at as a joke, although it would soon go back to being one with some of the later entries to follow but but um you know after after the fairly shoddy looking uh, man with the golden gun which i still like because i it's got it's got christopher lee and Hervey village yeah, yeah yeah exactly but i mean between the, the southern the redneck sheriff's return and the, those amcs uh <laughs> it's it's not a film that that stands up well whereas i think spy, spy love me has some very 70s aspects about it but i think overall it's still still plays pretty well and you know the humor you know I think the tone I think the Roger Moore films is probably the one that gets that tone of humor just right you know there's there is some of that kind of nudge nudge wink wink stuff going on but they don't take it too far overboard and uh, you know he's, he's still at an age where he can reasonably be seen to be kicking ass I guess on, <laughs> yeah. on some level I mean you, you only expect so much he I does suppose. a lot of karate shops to the neck yeah exactly you know um, you a know, certain style to him barely cut and dry stuff without wrinkling his suit yes um, you know not, not no real fisticuffs but but uh, you know it's before Moonraker kind of <laughs> destroys any goodwill that we uh, we might have had from that film it's 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 kind of maybe the, the last hurrah of classic Bond before we get into sort of the 80s era Bond. Right. Like, it almost feels like that's the end of an era there. Yeah. With that film, even though it's still Roger Moore for a few more films. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we should uh, maybe we can talk about a couple more. Um, I also have on my list You Only Live Twice, which uh, you mentioned earlier. And I'll tell you why it's on my list. It's it's the, uh, is it the fourth? The fifth? Sean Connery Bond and at this point I don't think it's on a lot of people's favorite list but I'll tell you why I love it it was also directed by Lewis Gilbert it was written by Harold Jack Bloom and the legendary Roald Dahl had a hand in this screenplay Um, but again it's about scale and I I thought it was pretty wonderful how the giant volcano base it just seems so so iconic and so perfect the ken adam design sets uh are were like nothing i was seeing in movies before or since for that matter um and this one is uh, is the movie that i think mike myers really loved because he spoofed so oh, hard yeah. in in austin powers uh specter is added again and we and this is the first time we really get a good look at Blofeld, and here he's played by super creepy horror movie veteran Donald Pleasance. Now, the organization is once again attempts to set superpowers against each other by absconding the rockets in Earth orbit. And of course, only the clever Brits figure out it has something to do with Japan, but they're unable to convince the U.S. or Russians, so they send their <laughs> their best agent to figure out what the hell's going on before nuclear war breaks out. And this is after his death is so convincingly faked in the opening credits, <laughs> which right. I also loved. Um, the gadgets from Q include an awesome gyrocopter, and the film has ninjas. Something else I loved when I was <laughs> yes, a kid. I was forget that this film has ninjas in it. They're in the book too. Like yeah. it's, it's it's worth uh, it really is worth watching uh, these after reading the books too, or reading revisiting the books after watching the movies because some of them get it just right, and some of them 
take the basic premise and just go completely in the other, other yeah. direction. Yeah. Um, this one cues reasonably close. I, mean, I think maybe the seizing rockets part is is to the special to the movie, but but a lot of the ideas, uh, even right down to Bond impersonating a Japanese fisherman. Yes. Uh, are all in the novel. Yeah. Well, this is something that. Uh, that I appreciated, although I haven't read a lot of the novels. I've read a few. I uh, I also really loved the the uh, the song. Uh, I think that uh, the "You Only Live Twice" is one of the great greatest of the theme songs, and and performed by Nancy Sinatra in the original, but it's subsequently been covered by Coldplay and Bjork, who both do a great mm. great version of it. Um, I will say that the film's key debit is maybe that it may it might be the most sexist. Of all the bonds, <laughs> like, like his the, when he goes Japan, and then and, and uh, culturally insensitive too. Like it's oh, yeah, the double whammy, time. like the, the getting disguised as a Japanese man, which is when you think about Sean Connery, is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and then the way they talk about you know men always come first in Japan, all that stuff is just appalling. yeah, all, all that geisha stuff is not aged terribly. Well. No, it's it's pretty appalling, and and I guess you can see it. The the thing about it that that still surprises me is that Bond movies have always been considered family entertainment, and there's stuff in here that you just go, you got to be kidding me! Like kids shouldn't have been watching this, but I did. Yeah, you me know? too. I can recognize it now as some of this stuff being politically pretty terrible, but but uh, yeah, the entertainment value uh, for me, I mean, I could watch these over and over again, and yeah, I guess even now, I guess that's true. <laughs> still, the racism and sexism is never as bad as it is in the book. It's so much worse. <laughs> right. You know, uh, I, I got to give props to the great uh, James Bonding podcast. Uh, you know, they, they were talking about this in a recent episode. Um, you know, how, you know, like basically Fleming didn't like anybody who wasn't him, essentially. You know, like when it came to, you know, other cultures, other races, right. women, you know, <laughs> it, you know, anybody who was of different class, it was, you know, if you weren't on the same class level, race and British, you know, you were kind of a lesser creature in his eyes and it kind of really shows in the books and Bond is a real SOB in the novels for the most part but uh, you know he, he does suffer for it too at the same time so I guess you can take that all with a grain of salt so I was pleased to note that we both had in our list of five favorite uh, a couple of Daniel Craig entries well I feel he kind of yeah I feel he, he's got to be in there because I mean it's as far as like the whole notion of re—I mean, the word reboot gets tossed around so much. I mean, but but this really is a a pretty substantial revitalization of a franchise in a way that hasn't hasn't really been done in in films to this degree. To, to you know, kind of just you know, just completely wipe the slate clean and go back to the start. I mean, I, I'm trying to imagine like this happening with like a remake of Die Hard, you know, ten years down <laughs> yeah. the road or something. But it could happen. I mean, there's no reason. You know, now, in that, this Bond, era, now yeah. that Bond has done it, you know, everything yeah. is anything is fair game. But but it really was revolutionary to, to just, you know, start with Casino Royale, hew fairly close to the Fleming novel or as much as you could mm-hmm. and still seem current day. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, they didn't sort of continue that pattern. You know, they got away from the books almost immediately. But but, uh, you know, for for people who love the franchise, it was kind of a, you know, when they they pretty much said that they were going to kind of scrap the tone and then just com- do a completely refurbished version of the character and, and of, of, of the whole world of Bond as we knew it because obviously it's post-Cold War and a lot had changed. I think they had to. I, I think not oh, yeah. only was it, it was also post-9-11. Yes. And it was post-Jason Bourne who, you know, in some ways 
the arrival of those movies and their success changed the landscape in the spy thriller world. We'd had all the Pierce Brosnan films, which were successful in their own way, and I enjoyed them in their own way as well. Interestingly, neither of us chose no. any of them uh, for our list of the best five. But uh, but yeah, my, my choice for, I guess, uh, maybe I had it in number two or number three, was Casino Royale. I just found it hit all the things that I needed and some I didn't even expect from a Bond movie. And I I really, uh, I really, really loved it. And I, I think that, though I don't know that I had a lot of uh, concern that Craig wasn't going to be able to fill the boots. I remember a lot of people were really down against him because he was blonde and he didn't have really looked the part. But as soon as they saw the movie, I, I remember everything got silent yeah. because he just owned it. He totally owned it. He he made that that role his own, and uh, and I, I like that it was helmed by Martin Campbell, who of course did Goldeneye, sort right. of relaunched the franchise in an earlier yeah, version. Nice choice. And uh, and I uh, and it was written by Neil Purvis and Robert Wade and Paul Haggis, a Canadian filmmaker, and uh, it just brings him back to the beginning in that opening segment, pre pre credit segment where he's only just qualified as for his double O status, and That's there's right. two black and white sort of. Uh, intercut segments of of Bond uh, surprising a uh, a traitor in Prague in an office, and he was supposed to finish. And then we cut to this brutal fight in a bathroom, <laughs> where he basically kills a guy with his bare hands. And it is about as violent as anything I've ever seen in a Bond movie. And it really it really establishes this new era. Uh, and I happen to like the Chris Cornell song, uh, "You Know My Name." By the way, I know a lot of people don't, but I I really like it. Um, you know, and and then within like ten minutes we waste no time in launching another astonishing action sequence this one parkour park, based uh, yeah i'm a big <laughs> fan of any foot based chase scene so <laughs> yeah. so this one was a real treat yeah it is astonishing and uh you know and, and then bond winds winds up killing that guy too like unarmed it's uh it's pretty amazing. The only thing that's the holdover from the Brosnan movies is Judy Dench. And you know what? I would not have thought that would work because I would have felt that somehow it was like it, it would felt jarring, but it totally does. Dench is just such a great character and her being carried from the Brosnan to the Craig films actually somehow is the one thread that it needed to to connect it to the overall franchise. Yeah, it's funny. No one would have complained if she hadn't have played M. I mean, you know, just because it was supposed to be just such a radical reinvention of the whole uh you know the whole universe of bond but but it really was it 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 gave you a comfortable uh feeling seeing her back in the in the role and she was so great in it before um you know and then of course that really played into the emotional resonance of what happens in skyfall yes. two films later um uh, that was i mean most of the decisions they made about this franchise have been really smart uh, since uh the change of regime, you know, Barbara Broccoli taking over from her dad and so on. Yes. Um, so uh, that, that that really stood out as, as a smart move. Like, it's like, okay, they really know what they're doing. They know that it's not, you know, they're not spitting on the, the, the old Bond, as it were, that there, there was a, a certain reverence for what went before, but, you know, 
a, a realization that it's time to move on and yeah. give this uh, give this character a kick in the pants. Yeah, yet they still have a, a moment where he drives the old Aston Martin for about a minute, and then he <laughs> drives a new Aston Martin also about a minute before yeah. it gets wrecked. Uh, I love that they go to Montenegro, of all places, to play a high-stakes poker game, because I guess Baccarat is way too 20th century, <laughs> uh, against Le Chiffre, who is the super creepy Mads Mikkelsen. He's a great villain. Um, you know, who then they're hoping to bankrupt this international terrorist organization. And I also loved Eva Green as as Vesper Lind, who is is very much Bond's intellectual equal. And and I I love their banter. I think it's just great. Not only that, but I mean, she's incredibly sexy and appealing. Um, you know, and, and Craig is everything he needs to be. He's grim. He's athletic, and maybe the best actor to essay Bond just in terms of showing complex layers, as well as kind of an impudence in this first film and his, with his relentless determination to do the job that's required. Uh, you know, and the, when he quips, he's cold and he's lacerating, but he's not really jokey. I think I think Casino Royale is closest in tone too, from Russia with Love, Honor, Majesty's Secret Service, and also one of my favorites, For Your Eyes Only. Mm. Um, and I think that's great company. And I think that uh, the fact th- that Vesper's final fate uh, explains Bond's psychological reasons for his distrust of women, and I think that makes it a more emotional character while still being recognizably 007. Um, you know, and that final where he wearing the three-piece suit and he's got the machine gun and he gets to say the, the famous line, it's just perfect. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I really feel like I, I need to revisit this and Quantum of Solace in close order. You know, the, the whole idea that one immediately follows out of the other, which is pretty unusual. Yeah, for, for sure. For uh, for the Bond films. Uh, I think Diamonds Are Forever kind of does it, sort of, but not to the same degree, no. whereas one picks up minutes after the first Bond film end, yeah. ended. That, that's completely new. And uh, although, you know, of course, uh, as we talked about earlier, Quantum of Solace has been pretty much maligned. Um, you know, there's, there's some ripples from Casino Royale that carry through that... Yes. that uh, improve it uh, upon repeat viewing. So I, I'm willing to give Quantum so I, I just bought a, a, a certain multinational department store chain had these super cheap Bond Blu-rays. So right. I finally own a copy of Quantum of Solace now. So, you know, for, for a very low price, it made it worthwhile. So now, you know, at some point I'm going to have to rewatch it because mm-hmm. I bought the darn thing. So, but, so Skyfall, though, is on your list of, of the best. And I want, I'd like to hear why you, why you chose it for your... For your Craig entry, yeah, I, you know it, it. It was tough. Like it, I, I knew I had to have a Craig film on there. I never had a problem with him. As soon as they announced him for James Bond, I was I was thrilled. I, I'd liked him in a number of films. Layer Cake, the kind of British gangster film, was one especially that I was fond of. He, he's he's terrific in that. So, you know, I I had no issues with him being Bond at all. He seemed like a really good choice. I mean, I you know years ago I was kind of hoping Clive Owen might yeah, have might too. have been taken taken over the role. And once I saw Owen in in uh, in Croupier, where That's he wore right. the uh, tuxedo. I'm like, oh man, people must be thinking about him for Bond. <laughs> He's, he looks the part. Yeah, but anyway, but sorry, continue. But it's just a timing thing. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I, I, thought, I thought Skyfall, especially, you know, coming out of Quantum of Solace, I thought they really uh, got the series back on its feet. Uh, you know, I, I thought that uh, Craig gives a great performance. There's some extra layers there that weren't uh, necessarily, you know, the, the, that there's a little more emotional resonance to him there that, because in Casino Royale, of course, it isn't until towards, sort of towards the end that you get those that sort of deeper emotional core of him coming to the surface. So there's a lot more of that in, in Skyfall is he's a lot more of a raw nerve in that film. And the, the whole, all the interplay between him and M I thought was, was really touching and, you know, you know, having Albert Finney show up <laughs> since the caretaker at his home in Scotland, I, you know, just 
thought was a really great touch. And uh, and uh, Javier Bardem is, is just fantastic as as uh, Sylvia as a, as the bad guy in this film. I just uh, can't get over how great he was. Yeah, in this film. I so, agree there. That's you for know, sure. and it's it was it, you know it's more of a higher stakes, bigger picture kind of Bond film than, than Casino Royale, and I guess that's. Uh, you know that's that's why I have a bigger fondness for it. But but yeah. but I mean, I, it's the difference between them is is pretty marginal for me. But Skyfall just has certain elements that push it over the top for me. Yeah, that's totally fair. I I liked Skyfall a lot, but I was also critical of the thing that I was critical of Spectre, which is that the the personal connection. We I didn't feel like we needed to go back to his his homestead at the end. It just I was like, I, it's too much information for me. <laughs> uh, it doesn't need to go there. We, he's not he's not Bruce Wayne. We don't need to know yes. the orphan story. Uh, but uh, I do agree that Bardem is great, and I I really enjoyed that they kind of borrowed the structure from The Dark Knight. Yes, uh, well that's. The, yeah, the feeling of the, this chaotic figure, this villain who is sort of omnipotent and who allows himself to be captured mid-film just so that they can have this face-off and then it's all part of his dastardly plan to, to actually get what he wants, which, uh, which, uh, which I, I mean, I, I, while I was watching it, I still recognized the, the, uh, the connection there, but I still thought they did it so well that I was just like, oh, sure that he would have planned that train to crash down into the tunnels. Yeah, of course he could have done that. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> He's it's, just crazy it, enough to do it. It's, it is kind of far-fetched, but, the, but I mean, <laughs> Far-fetched is the the bread and butter of, of these films. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I guess I I don't need it to be too too realistic. Although, you know, Casino Royale I think goes out of its way to try and maintain that sort of veneer of realism. Skyfall yes. was the first film of the new era to kind of just you know that over the top wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, and I, I appreciated that they brought in Q, a new younger Q. Yes. I mean, Ben Wishaw is amazing. And the introduction of uh, of Moneypenny was also wonderful. I love this sort of, the, the suggestion after so many years of her pining for Bond and that being like the running joke that she always wants him and he's he just flirts with her and then leaves her behind as he goes on a mission. The the tables are turned. Now he, you know, she is in the recent movie. Yes. She's She's got uh, some company at home and he's like, like what's going on? It's awfully late. Like he's so disapproving, <laughs> and she's like, "It's a, it's it's life, James. You know, look into it." <laughs> I think that's wonderful. Yeah, I think it's a nice reinvention of that character too, and I, and I like Ray Fiennes too. Like, yeah, I, I think uh, he's he's the perfect choice for the for a new M. <laughs> you know, and just the fact that we got him back in the the wood paneled office. You know, even though it's only temporary, I guess. But uh, you know, who knows what we'll see in the next film? But it's it's hopefully he'll ride this out for a little while. <laughs> So, Stephen, you have on your list another Roger Moore film, Live and Let Die. Why did this one fall, fall on your on your list? Uh, this is, well, this is probably my favorite Roger Moore film and uh, of, of the batch. And I, I like the film it's because of its goofy 70s nature. You know, I, I like the fact that it's partially a blaxploitation film. That which, this seems so strange to me that they would which, try to do that. Which seems so odd to me now. It's, it's, it's. I like the fact that he's in America for a good chunk yeah. of it, which and the man doesn't the happen go- often. The Man of the Golden Gun is kind of a kung fu movie in some ways. It's like they, they were almost yeah. trying to mix up the Bond genre with other genres that were popular at the time. Yeah, it's got elements of, of, of Enter the Dragon in that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I love the theme song. It's, it's just got a lot of, I mean, it's it's a very campy movie. Um, <laughs> make no mistake. And maybe that's my, you know, that I like the rock serious Bond but I also like the campy Bond 
uh, and this is like the best example of that for me. Um, I like Yafet Koto an awful lot. I liked all the voodoo elements. Uh, Jeffrey Holder is fantastic. He's great. Though I grew up with him as that uh, Seven Up pitchman. Yeah, of course. And uh, it's funny because I have I sort of think of that when I see him sometimes. Yeah. Crisp and clean and no caffeine. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> but um, right. the Angola. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. And again, it was one that I saw at an early age. Yes. You know, like review, it makes a big difference. Yeah, that 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 helps because you know because I didn't get what they were trying to do. I'd never seen Shaft right. or anything at that right. point. So you know, I just thought it was cool that James Bond was in New York and stuff like that. I mean, we you know he goes to Vegas and Diamonds Are Forever and you know Goldfinger has Fort Knox ostensibly. Right. Uh, I don't know how much that was filmed in the states. It's like when he's at the Fountain Blue in in Miami Beach, but it's all back projection, right? And, sure, on a UK soundstage. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Living the Die just has a great score and the, the McCartney theme song. Yeah, and, it is pretty wonderful. And it was one of the ones that you know just you know I had a lot of build up before I saw it. You mm-hmm. know, just because I knew the song. And, uh, you know, I finally got to see it on TV again, yeah. you know, sort of around the same time as Thunderball, because it seemed like they were showing them once a month or something. Yeah, like, that's the thing about those movies is they were on TV all the all time. All the time. Yeah, yeah, ABC just had the rights to them in perpetuity, and they would, obviously, it was a big ratings grab for them. And, yeah. you know, watching these horribly panned and scanned and edited for TV versions of Bond movies is... You know, it didn't matter. I, I was just so fascinated by the the world of these movies and this kind of the exoticism. Uh, you know, just made me want to be a, a world traveler. Yeah, and, well, uh, sure, that's part of it too. I think the exoticism of, of going all over the place was part of the appeal of the film. Oh, for sure. Like, I mean, Living Let Die. Locations. Yeah, we, we get New York, we get uh, New Orleans, uh, we get the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, you know, we we get a a bad guy who gets injected with a some sort of compressed air cartridge. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, but th- there's so many elements. I really liked uh, Jane Seymour. Yes. As, as solid, as it's solid Solitaire. Solitaire, yes. Um, you know, she she was fabulous and, and very alluring. And, and I think it was Gloria Hendry who plays the, the female uh, CIA agent that he kind of teamed up with. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's... You know, maybe the, the whole is less than the sum of its parts, but uh, you know, it's, it's just a lot of fun. And Roger Moore is kind of just ex- still exploring the character. I mean... You know, he, from what I gather, I've only seen a little bit of the, the Saint, but you know that's basically where he was coming yeah, from. Was from yeah, playing I, that's right, a Bond esque character, but with with a lot much more lighthearted tone. So, you know, I I don't know what kind of furor there was when when he took over the role because I mean, Connery was you know pretty much sleepwalking through Diamonds Are Forever. He you know, clearly was not showing much. I still like that film a lot. Yeah, but, I do too. But uh, but it was clear that he had little to no interest in playing the character. So. You know, I, I I don't think Roger Moore ever looked really bored with this character. No, I mean, he was having fun. I mean, that's the one where he he walks across the backs of the alligators. Gators, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's that. You know, the, and there's that, and the great boat chase. I mean, you know, when you're a kid, that stuff is all really fascinating. Yeah, the, the, one of the greatest boat jumps or something in the Guinness Book of World Records. I yeah. think in that film. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I had a lot of soft spot for the film. It didn't make my list, but I I can understand I can why. why you why you're <laughs> I can understand why you love it. I have a small uh, side anecdote about Jane Seymour. I uh, when I was living in the UK as a and I've dined out on this story for quite a while. By the way, I'll I'll admit that much. This uh, I, I there was a a day where 
celebrities got behind the counters of uh, of boutiques in Covent Gardens in uh, in the UK, and and uh, so I went down there because ostensibly to sort of see some of the people I'd seen on TV and movies and what have you. And I remember walking up to a sort of a beauty store or something, and uh, or makeup and and, uh, and store, and, and there were two guys standing outside a plate glass window, slack jawed, <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? What are they looking at? And so I looked inside, and it was Jane Seymour who was working behind the counter and and I stood there for a second and I I had the same slack jaw look because she was so beautiful I just couldn't believe it it was Jane Seymour wow and she looked out at us and she waved and the three of us were like we waved back (laughs) it was just one of those moments it was like wow this is that's that's what a movie star looks like yeah, it was a great moment. Anyway, um, but we're going off topic a little yeah, bit. But I, get, I get to tell my Jane Seymour story. <laughs> oh, if you've about got how, one, go for it. Uh, living in Halifax, she was in town. She was she filmed a TV movie in Halifax, uh, something about a heart transplant or something like that. It was a Hallmark TV movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was living on Davison Street, and they were actually filming a scene for it across the street from my apartment at the car wash, the Irving Car Wash, Roby and Charles. Oh, yeah. And I look at my window, and I see like all the movie trucks are parked along in front of my house, and... I, I, somehow I knew that that was filming in town and sure enough she was in wearing some sort of jumpsuit or something like that and she had a scene where she's supposed to walk through a car wash or something like that and so I went out and got to got to watch uh, watch her film this scene and she was very funny and she, you know she was she had, she had to get soaking wet and they didn't actually make her walk through a car wash but they had to spray her down and stuff like that so I got to watch some of that stuff happen wow and they were you know it was a TV movie production so it wasn't quite the the huge like security crew blocking everyone off and she was very game and very animated and chatty with people and stuff like that so yeah it was a real treat dude you do your, your Jane Seymour story is much better than my Jane Seymour story <laughs> <laughs> well you didn't get to see her get hosed down so well that's what I'm talking about <laughs> yeah okay alright let's not go there we'll uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll <laughs> we'll move on we'll move on to other other James Bond movies that we're going to discuss including the one that I think has its reputation has been completely revived in recent years from going from many thought a complete disaster to one that a lot of people thought, including yourself, is one of the great James Bond movies, and that's On Her Majesty's Secret Service. So tell me about why you why you love it. Well, I've always liked this film, going back to the first time I saw it. And and, and I do remember, like, you know, because you know, when we were kids, we talked about these, we read the books. Even though we were, like, 10 or 11, we were reading these books about this horrible alcoholic womanizer which is just a weird thing to think about but you know we all got our copies our parents copies of the books and read them and watched the movies on ABC when we were allowed to stay up and all that kind of thing and um, you know of course the the uh, the popular conception was that you know Lazenby was no good and uh-huh. you know he only made one film so he must have stunk on ice and, and for and that was kind of the popular opinion and I just thought that was the case for years until I finally actually got to see one see this film it didn't get shown as much as as the other films, uh, you know, on the ABC Sunday Night Movie or whatever, but it did show up from time to time, and eventually I got to see it. And of course, I didn't know Diana Rigg was in it. You know, I was a big fan of the Avengers, and and uh, you know, so that was all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, I had no idea she was in this movie, and she's terrific as as, as Tracy, the the daughter of the Corsican mobster, and uh, and Lazenby is fine. You know, uh, you know, he gets saddled with that unfortunate opening scene where he yeah. says, you know, that never happened to the other, the other guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know he's not a great actor. You know he's he's kind of glib. I mean he kind of paves the way for Roger Moore. It's kind of funny that there's another Sean Connery movie between him and Moore because he's kind of the proto Roger Moore. He's 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 
you know, in fact, it feels more like a Roger Moore film than it, because you always think, well, what if they had made it with Connery? What would it have been like? And, and that kind of thing. Um, but I, I you know, I, I think, uh, Lazenby does handle the emotional beats towards the end pretty well. And when he's had to, to be this character at the spa where he wears the, the kilt and he gets all the attention from all yeah. the young women, I, I, that's kind of funny. Uh, they, that, that works okay for, for me. Anyway. Yeah. And he's, he's, there's a self-effacing quality about him that, that, Connery wouldn't necessarily pull off. I think Connery doing that kilt stuff would have just looked kind of silly. Mm-hmm. Um, like about as silly as playing a Japanese fisherman, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of got a swagger about him. I mean, I don't think he sounds terribly Australian. I mean, that was one of the, some people complained about his accent, you know, <laughs> but I, I think he down, somehow managed to downplay it. I yeah, it didn't bother me. I think I they got really him a dialect it. coach to yeah. sound more British. Yes. And, uh, you know, and he's he's got a rugged quality. I mean, he's Australian. He's got this kind of two-fisted thing about him. I mean, you know, from I've met or I've, I've talked to people who've met him who said he's, he's crazy. He's a crazy man uh-huh. <laughs> in real life. Um, you know, and I, I think I saw a later film. I mean, there aren't that many films that he's in afterwards, but there's that one, um, The Man from Hong Kong. It's kind of a martial arts film that's partially set in, in Sydney, and he does this fight scene where he gets set on fire, and it's him. He actually gets set on fire. So, you know, he's clearly like a, a rugged physical guy, and whereas Connery was probably trying to back off from doing that rugged physical stuff. So, so um, you know, he's certainly believable in those moments. And uh, the film itself is so well-crafted. I mean, you know, the editing is kind of revolutionary, and the, the chase scenes and that bobsled chase and, and uh, the fight scenes, there's... there's uh, it was ahead of its time in the way it was made and then the look of it compared to other sort of suspense and action films. It, it was made in such a way that kind of set the tone for action films for years to come. So, uh-huh. you know, in a way, it's kind of a forward-thinking film uh, at the same time that it's kind of the throwback. And the other nice thing about it is it's pretty faithful to the book, which yes. is which is always a big thing for me. Like, for most people, they're not going to bother reading the Fleming novels and whether or not it's faithful or not doesn't make a bit of difference I suppose but but I really like that it it's it hews to the the Fleming story fairly well which is always a big thing for me and it it does it about as well as any of the early films you know yeah yeah I I hear what you're saying and I I, I like the film a lot uh, it probably could have fit on my on a longer list maybe a top 10 bond films I I don't I still feel that that Lazenby is a little uninteresting but the film around him is so good yeah. and everyone else is so good that uh, especially Diana Rigg and and uh, though I don't want to say too much about the ending it does make for an emotional impact that that is above and beyond almost all of the Bond movies uh, up to the point where they introduce Craig and they try to mix it up a little more yeah. and in a way that is quite profound and I, I felt that uh, that I, I really I really like that I really like that they tried to take that chance with this with this film and and another thing I really like about it is the the theme again the music it's uh it's another instrumental that uh, they used again in future Bond movies since the 70s but they don't really use anymore yeah. though they did uh, take a moment of it for the trailer for Spectre which <laughs> uh, was great to hear and I hope that we'd hear it again in the film and I didn't hear it but hopefully that some you know some of the filmmakers will bring it back because the the theme from Honor Magic Secret Service is, is is for me I love it as much as the original Bond theme I think it's I think it's pretty great. Yeah, it's one of the few... I mean, I don't collect the Bond soundtracks, but this is one where I actually have the LP. I'm, I'm sure it's on CD at this point, but I actually have a, a nice original LP for this. It's it's John Barry, but it's it's also, uh, you know, the first one, I think, to use synthesizers uh-huh. in it. And I, they're actually used really effectively. They're not corny or kind of overly gimmicky. And, and it's, uh, it's a really solid score from start to finish. I mean, I like 
all of the 60s scores as well but but this one it's it's you know it's it's very forward thinking without being uh overly dated i guess like it still plays pretty well and uh and then of course it's got that Louis Armstrong yes. uh, track the last the, 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 the last Louis Armstrong song that he That's ever right. recorded yeah. and we've got all the time in the world and it's you know there's something very sad about it well when you think about the guy was not in good health the time that he recorded it uh yeah it's it's a great it's a great song uh let's just uh we've we've got uh, basically your favorite and my favorite uh your favorite which is uh which was my was on my list i'll say is maybe number three but uh we should uh maybe you want to say a few things before uh, um about uh from russia with love well yeah well from russia with love is my favorite uh and i and wasn't always the case i i think for a while there actually i think live and let die might have been my favorite film um you know, before before the Brosnan period kicked in or whatever, but um, or maybe even before the Daltons, but but uh, you know, once I got out of that kid phase uh, and I saw this film for what it was, uh, For Much of Love quickly became my favorite. It, it's just the most classic of the classic Bonds. Um, it uh, again, it follows the novel pretty much to the letter. There aren't a lot of gadgets in it. I think there's a trick briefcase. That uh, was later turned into one of the first Bond toys, I think. There's oh, yeah. A, you get like a, the, the toy briefcase that has, you can hide money in it. It's got a knife that pops out. You know, it's like, you know, like kids should have. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And, and uh, um, I, I just, it just seems like the classiest, most kind of European wood paneled. It, it just has that old world flavor about it, uh-huh. you know? And yeah. It, it's, it's. It's 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 odd that it's it's a uh, a Bond because the, the Bond film is all about this kind of the series most of the films are about this kind of modernity about moving forward and being groundbreaking you know going into space and satellites and you know death rays and all that kind of thing and this this film is is you know it's good old fashioned espionage really yeah, it's like yeah. you know it's 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 him actually being a spy as opposed mm-hmm. to just you know infiltrating bases and things as we'd see later on. And, uh, you know, I like that it has actual espionage in it. And, uh, you know, I, I like uh, Daniela Bianchi the, 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 is probably my favorite, most beautiful of the Bond women, in, in my opinion. Not much of an actress, but, but you know, she, she looked great. I mean, she's entirely dubbed by yes. somebody else in this film. But, um, you know, and it, I just like the ruggedness of it. I, I think it's Connery's best work as, as kind of the two-fisted, James Bond, you know, he's the most believable. He hasn't got tired of playing the role yet. I mean, it's yeah. only the second film, but uh, and 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 uh, Robert Shaw is just fantastic. Yeah, as the as, villain, as, yeah. as villain, as as Red. He's just Red uh, Grant. Yeah, he's just otherworldly. <laughs> the, the, the blonde, the platinum blonde hair really does something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and uh, you know, and Lottie Lenya mm-hmm. is as as great as as well as the the villainess from uh, from Spectre. So yep. it's it's just it's just uh it just has that really rich feel for me, you know. I, I, it, yeah, I totally agree. It's it's on my list because I feel like it's the first one that got everything right. Yeah. Like the Doctor No was the dry run, but but from Rush Would Love, they just kind of set this is the the template for Bond. And uh you can't say enough about Connery. He played the character who was ruthless enough to kill in cold blood and then make a joke about it. And uh and it just provided the right blend of physicality and wit. He was and he was just he was so charming. Uh he really he really could do everything and yeah, I thought I really liked about the it's film. It's got the charisma of Bond. It it establishes the world of James Bond a little bit better than Dr. No did. Mm-hmm. Um 
you know, and uh, the, the the Secret Service. I love the Turkish locations. It's yeah, and Venice as well. I think yeah, yeah. It's, towards the end, yeah, it's great. Uh, directed by Terence Young, Richard, written by Richard Maybaum, and adapted from the Fleming novel by Joanna Harwood. Uh, it just yeah. You also we also get to meet. Uh, Q, who at the, actually at this point he's he's called Boothroyd. That's right. And uh, so we get the first pre-credits action sequence, and followed by an eye-catching opening titles. Here they're done by Robert Brownjohn, but uh, of course the series, the Grace Maurice Binder Binder, he was mm. the one who used to do who did them subsequently, and uh, and those are yeah those these are the names of of these kind of iconic. The, all these great talents put these films together, and they are all sort of top of their game. And certainly, From Rush with Love is 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 a great example of uh, of the skill that went into the making these films and made them, you know, basically classics in in uh, in spy entertainment. Um, my number one film, and it was going to be The Spy Who Loved Me because it had <laughs> it just had that scale. But sure. I, when the more I thought about it, the more I realized that For Your Eyes Only was the was the Bond movie that I. Um, the the one I've revisited the most that I I can always go back to. Then after it just felt like an adjustment after the spy who loved me. They want to do something a little more like from Russia with Love, maybe a little more spying, maybe a little less bombast. And so so there's still humor and all the goofiness of the Roger Moore films, but there's also a, a kind of darkness that I really admired. And I uh, you know Moore is is aging a little bit, but he's not he's not too long in the tooth that you can still do the action sequences uh, and it's um, it also has that pre-credit sequence that connects it back to Spectre even though they don't they're not explicit about who the yeah, guy is the, the ball guy because they can't be due to legal <laughs> reasons uh, Kevin McClory but uh, but the it's a great sequence where where it immediately connects to On Her Majesty's Secret Service in a way that I really really liked and then the plot is actually one of the less convoluted of the Bond plots there's a there's a MacGuffin that everyone wants and it has a that incredible military significance uh, and then Bond has to figure out how to get it who has it the Russians want it, and uh, and who's working for the Russians? Uh, Maybaum again is involved in the script, and Michael G. Wilson. It was directed by John Glenn, and, uh, and there's also wonderful locations in Greece. Uh, and I can't say enough about uh, the French thespian Carol Bouquet, yes, who is, is who plays the Electra, the the inspired uh, uh, Greek woman who wants revenge for the death of her her uh, her parents and there's that great line from M uh, you were meant to question Gonzalez not let Miss Havelock perforate him <laughs> <laughs> when she she gets him with the crossbow uh, it's it's uh, you know the I, I just felt like they there was a lot of great moments and uh, and I think she's the best uh, female lead since Diana Rigg um, and I, I really, I really liked the way it ended too. On the top of a monastery, even though some of the interior shots are clearly done in studio, yeah, well. and the matching is not all that great. Um, I also, there's also stuff in the in the movie where they never really explain. At one point, they leave a scuba gear at the bottom of this submerged temple, and they never really explain why they do that. But boy, does it turn out to be a good move later on. <laughs> um, and then there's the the fi- the finale where Maggie and Dennis Thatcher get on the phone with him, and that's com- that's just just unexcusable that's just terrible <laughs> that's that that's like moonraker level cheese but but i think overall it just it's just there's great characters i love topol as the smuggler and um the the villain again uh, is completely silent and totally sinister and there's a there's a ski chase 
So, you know, basically, <laughs> basically, it's it just scratches all the things I, I, I love about the film. There isn't the the um, the Lotus doesn't get involved, really. <laughs> he does drive a Lotus, but it, it meets a very quick and yes. final end. Um, so they have this sort of uh, Citroen chase, which which is kind of funny. Um, yeah. So overall, I, I say that uh, that it's it's a personal choice and maybe not for everybody, but I, I really have a soft spot for, for the yeah, film. I, I like the film. It really holds up well. I remember seeing it at the time it came out and being relieved at that <laughs> okay this is because it does have elements from some of the books because prior to that Octopussy and Moonraker had really nothing to do with the books at all and and well Spy Love Me didn't really either I don't think but but um, you know the, then they really went astray <laughs> with, with the next two films and so I was, it was nice to get back to something that was a little more down to earth a little more straightforward a bit less jokey although you know we did have dumping a Lowfield replica down a chimney, and, <laughs> and that Thatcher sting is yeah, that is unforgivable. But but uh, but the bulk of it is 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 a chance to get something a little grittier, a little dark. I mean, obviously, the Moore was unhappy with some of the stuff, some of the choices in the film. Apparently, that he thought maybe some of it was too violent for his taste, and right. um, you know, sort of led to his de- you know, which he says led to his decision to not want to play the character anymore. Aside from but, his age and everything, but, and that doing two more after that, yeah. <laughs> But, you know he still he still kept going but but uh but this one uh i thought had a lot of the nice nice mix of the more era plus the the grittier fleming concept of the character or as close as you could get to it in a roger moore film um you know i love the corsican <laughs> mob guys that you know any chance to bring those guys back is is a, is a happy one for me actually i'd love to see that get reprised in some form in the in the reboot if they could but um yeah the, it's uh it, you know, even, I, I mean, I wasn't that old when I saw it, but at the same time, it felt like a nice return to form, I guess, if you will. And now, an exclusive, a premiere, the first yes. guest that we've had on Lens Me Your Ears in our 15 or 16 episode history <laughs> thus far is Lucas Cardona. Welcome to the studio, Lucas. Thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. Now, Lucas, you are like us. Uh, we're all roughly the same age, uh, but you are... Some rougher hard- than others. <laughs> <laughs> you are a hardcore Bondophile. Is there a, is there a name for someone who's a serious Bond fan? I don't know if there is a Bondiac, uh, <laughs> a, you know, something. I don't know, but you're you're hardcore, and so as a result, uh, you've come to join us to sing the praises of a couple of your favorites, maybe, and maybe maybe not so favorites. But uh, yeah, tell me about uh, your tell us about your your interest in Bond and why you love him so much. Well, I guess the reason I love him is is you know going to be revealed soon in in terms of my favorite Bond film and my relationship to that film that really introduced me to Bond. Um, I, my, my aunt and my, my mom introduced me to Bond originally. I saw it for your eyes only uh, when I was like six. Okay. <laughs> wow. And, and it really, it really blew my mind. It was, and it was very violent and dark, you know, obviously for a six year old. Uh, but I think it, it, it really put a hook in me. Yeah. 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 And, and you, uh, you like us grew up with, with Roger Moore is your, your bond. Uh, and we were talking about maybe some of our least favorite bonds. And I got to say that, that I, I, you know, I have some time for Octopussy, but I, having rewatched View to a Kill not too long ago, 
I, despite the fact that Christopher Walken makes a great villain, <laughs> uh, I, I just found it to be just sort of slack and, and had no forward motiv- motivation or, or narrative thrust. But this is one that you really love, and I'd love to hear why you, why you like it so much. Well, it's interesting because I was just you know, listening to the, the, the segment, the, the, you know, the whole show, and mm-hmm. uh, your favorite film, uh, Stephen, is uh, Live and Let Die. And your favorite film is for your eyes only and I don't know your ages but it sounds like uh, you saw uh, Stephen you saw Live and Let Die at the sort of the right age and it kind of introduced you to the bond and you really fell in love with it and so you kind of overlooked the flaws and you like you're like this is the best movie oh yeah movie. well yeah. I mean For Much of Love is my favorite but, but Live and Let Die is probably my favorite Roger Moore right um, and then yeah I saw like a, it was one of the handful that I got to see before I saw you know, uh, Spy loved me in the theater, um, but it was like one of a handful because that gold. I think Doctor No was one that took me a long time to see, um, but but yeah, Live and Let Die and uh, Thunderball was the very first one I ever saw, and uh, and also uh, Diamonds Are Forever I saw early on. Yeah, I was fascinated by Bambi and Thumper. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And the Moon Buggy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I think I had that kind of experience too. Yeah. Um, you know, I think w- w- I saw Bond before that, but I was too young to really. Could I get into it? But I saw a view to a kill when I was ten years old, and it blew my mind. <laughs> and you know, and I can't detach myself from that feeling. Like I still watch it now, and I go, "This movie, the villain is Christopher Walken. Like it's like the best Bond villain." And then, <laughs> and then there's Grace Jones as his sidekick. That is pretty awesome. I mean, that's that's a that is a match made in '80s heaven. Yeah, and, <laughs> and then you have Duran Duran song. And then you know, of course, it's still John Barry, but John Barry's like kind of doing Duran Duran with like yeah. a like a electric guitar thing going on. And and uh, the song, the sort of the main action theme is is a sort of a redo of the the one from Under Magic Secret Service. So it really has uh, sort of kind of all these best elements together. And uh, you know, as a kid watching that ski sequence at the beginning, and uh, just the sort of um, the ease and facility of, of, of Roger Moore's action. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, bad guy, that's what I'm going to do. Doop. Oh, oh, <laughs> but, oh, I'm going to jump, jump off this cliff. Oh, I'm going to... And then and he does all these things and, and blows up the helicopter and ski. Um, you, you know, there's a snowboarding chase that, you, you know, <laughs> that you've never seen that before. And he skis right. across the water, blows up the helicopter, and then takes a breath. And then, ooh, there's a little hatch that opens up and there's a submarine that's an disguised in a, as an iceberg <laughs> and, and he gets in there and he's like he's, he's not even out of breath yeah and yeah. and uh and then uh, you know and he, he 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 he's basically like uh seducing the woman and she's like oh mr bond you know and he says <laughs> well it's five days to alaska you know <laughs> and 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 uh, you know, as a ten-year-old, you, you like my mind was blown, and then the Duran Duran song mm-hmm. starts, and it just—it's like in your face, and there's laser, and there's girls, and and of course it's cheesy, but it's amazing. Yeah. And 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 then the thing starts, and now you're in Paris, and there's yeah. like, there's that like great car chase where the car chase the the car, the car just, cuts in half. It cuts in half, and and it cuts in half again, and there's basically just a, like a piece of a car left, <laughs> and he's still driving it. <laughs> what is it, a Renault? I yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. 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 And hell and of it, an ad for that car company. Yeah, no kidding. And you know, and it, it, it's true that you know that I realized at some point that it does drag a little bit, but it's also like a mystery. It's like, well, why do these horses keep winning? It's like all oh, those microchips, and of course, the microchip and, and the computers is a very like '80s thing going on. Right, Silicon uh, Valley, are the yeah. where it's all happening. Yeah. 
Very American again. It's an interesting American. Yeah, it's, it's American, and it's kind of a remake of Goldfinger, in a way. To a certain degree. For yeah, sure. to a certain. You know, and uh, you know this amazing uh, fight on the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, at the end with a, a air blimp and the you blimp, know. the blimp. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing about the blimp is he's not the blimp's not very threatening. I would say that Christopher Walken in his in his insanity is psychopath is pretty scary because yeah. he he giggles when he shoots people, which I really yeah. love. About Throws him. him out of the blimp. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but the blimp itself was a bit you know well it's a blimp. I mean I don't know. It's <laughs> not all, but you know the blimp is he, no but the blimp came out of a, like a, a little. Um, like a trailer or something. It was like a mm. little building. Like, yeah, it like, and it just and it, blew, it, it, it up. blew up. And yeah. then they take off, and then Rogers Moore's like, no, don't take uh, Tanner Roberts. She's a Charlie's Angel. <laughs> 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 you know, and then Mady turn, and turns good, and she blows up, and that's yeah. really dramatic. And, yeah, then, yeah. and then Roger Moore says, hang on to this little, the mooring rope of the, of the blimp. And mm. you're like, what? how is this going to end? And there's like this great fight on the Golden Bridge. And I think, you know, so... Uh, you know, we could debate. You know, <laughs> but like, I'm just telling you, that's what got to me as a ten year old, and then and introduced me to Bond, and and it's kind of been the sort of the high watermark. Yeah, no, yeah. I can understand. I can understand. I mean, for all of us, the having seen at such a young age, and those powerful images and the music and and it all just seemed like a fantasy world I wanted to live in. I of course he's 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 so confident he can do anything mm-hmm. and and his 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 power that he had to just you know he killed and make a joke. I mean something about that was seen very primal and 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 kind of cool. I have to <laughs> confess it's kind of cool. Uh, and I and some of that's hard to escape. Even now when I'm so critical of Spectre and its its issues, uh, I can't deny that that I, I would still probably go and see it again and again, yeah. <laughs> and still have be critical of it, but still enjoy it. It's a really bizarre. The things about these movies that annoy are also the things that I can that are that appeal. Well, I watched View to a Kill for the first time since it came out like recently. Okay, I found a cheap copy of the blu-ray somewhere and and uh and so you know what I, i'm gonna revisit this <laughs> and uh i really enjoyed it i i had fun with it it was, it was a nice swan song for roger moore yeah um grace jones is fantastic you know she just you know her eyes just kind of burn up the screen and and you know walking as a, as a bad guy is kind of inspired because he wasn't really he hadn't really achieved those kind of cowbell levels of <laughs> Of notoriety at that <laughs> yes, point, so yes. it's a pretty inspired bit of, of casting. Tanya Roberts is one of the weaker points mm-hmm. for me. I, I think she's pretty bad yeah. in this, um, but I mean, it's a thankless role as as the kind of ingenue parts in these films tend to be. I think Holly Lynn Johnson in in Fear Eyes Only. Yeah, and is, uh, is Jill, Jill St. John also was back in Diamonds Are Forever. Not not all that great. Yeah, but I still like her. <laughs> I don't know something about, something about watching Jill St. John with a machine gun getting like blasted across the side of a an oil rig. But but uh, yeah, I mean she's nobody's idea of a great actress either. But uh, for some reason she's got this kind of sassiness about her that All right. I find is kind of missing in say Tanya Roberts or, yeah. or uh, Holly Lynn Johnson. But um, but uh, you know I really liked a lot of the elements. I even like the goofy butterfly. You know, restaurant that they go to in the Eiffel Tower, I guess. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Heck, it is. Uh, you know, just one of those weirder concepts they came up with for Bond films, like the, like the whatever the light show at the pyramids is. And Spy right, Love Me, Spy Love Me. You sure, know, they always sure. had these weird locations and sort of events happening. And they sort of trends. It's interesting. Yeah. They do. They in a lot of those movies, they try to plug into the trends of the moment, something that made it feel, as you say, made it feel modern, and uh, and 
that isn't always that may be something that Spectre is missing is that there isn't a lot in there. I mean, maybe the uh, the idea of surveillance state is something that makes it relevant, mm. but uh, but it's a bit thin. Um, now, now I would assume that a view to a kill. Would you call it your Lucas? Would you call that your favorite Bond movie? Yeah, it's definitely my favorite. Yeah. Um, now, do you have one that's your least favorite? Because we haven't really talked about our least favorite Bond. Oh my yet. god, uh, I would say. Those two Pierce Brosnan movies, I can't remember what the names of them are. <laughs> uh, the, the world is not enough. Oh or tomorrow God. never dies. And, I, and the thing is, I rewatched. Uh, I rewatched them just you know, a few months ago, and I thought, well, you know, maybe uh, you know, with age, uh, they get better or something. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, and what a piece of I can't even talk about. <laughs> and you but know, you don't, you didn't mind Goldeneye too much. I no, seem to recall you liked Goldeneye. No, and and I think there was. A, I mean, I was a really big fan, uh, fan also of the Tim, uh, Timothy Dalton Bonds, and I felt um, enough of that and sort of the Cold War spy stuff uh, survived in the in GoldenEye. Um, and I don't know if I can articulate this, but I think my, my big problem with the, those other Pierce Brosnan movies was similar to uh, some of the... <clears throat> Or, um, Tim Burton Batman movies, which is idea of like, well, it's dark and gritty, but it's silly and and mm. and, and just doesn't work, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, and you know, so I I say, you know, make it dark and gritty, or make it silly. Um, but otherwise, what you have is you have dark and gritty that's really hollow. Okay. And and that's what it felt like. It it you know it was it was more violent than some of the other things, and it was, uh, but also like, uh, you know, there was whole sequences of Pierce Brosnan talking to people. And it just feels like dialogue. Like yeah. it, it, I, I just mean like just filling time. <laughs> yeah, like they're people. You know, they're 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 saying things, and it, it there's no logic to the conversation. Mm. Yeah, like, yeah. I remember really getting my hopes up for Tomorrow Never Dies because Michelle Yeoh was kind of co-billed. Like she was going to mm. be, you know, it was going to be like the first time since Spy Who Loved Me where the female there's going to be a female agent who took prominence in the film, and and uh, I found that uh, that was she was kind of wasted really she didn't get to do any real major you know kind of martial arts action scenes like i thought she was going to do and i mean it was a l- few but not a little not bit of it but yeah. but not to the extent where yeah. she should have had maybe a kind of a showpiece kind of scene like yeah um Jonathan no. Price wasn't also a terribly compelling villain um but well, i, I did a good mind. idea Rupert Murdoch yeah. style guy and he's he's yeah. fun in the role but he, you know, his plan is ultimately kind of silly. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't mind those movies as much as you. I, I enjoyed them, but they are kind of interchangeable, like that one. And then there's the the, the other one with uh, Sophie Marceau is the villain. And, and that actually kind of, mm. I kind of enjoyed that because it was a female, female bad. Oh, the world is not enough. The world is not it's, enough. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. better. It's, it's certainly an improvement. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, the villain in that case is a guy who can't... Um, uh, what's his name? Begbie from Trainspotting. Uh, he can't feel pain. Right. Uh, that actor whose name escapes me. Robert Carlyle. Robert Carlyle. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, the, there was enough there to keep my interest. Uh, probably my least favorite of the Bonds, and maybe, maybe uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I often say that Bond movies are kind of like comfort food. Even the ones that are really bad are worth enjoying. I, I'll sit through them, but uh, but. 
um, die another day is pretty terrible, and uh, <laughs> and and it's for the way the ways in which they go, they're too silly. Like in 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 it starts really promisingly with Bond being held captive for like a year in North Korea, which I felt like oh this is a, a change. Yeah, it gets different. off to a great start, and yeah. then but then he gets in that hovercraft, and I don't yeah, know and then you get the the tsunami, the digital tsunami. That was the the <laughs> yeah. moment where I was like, I cannot believe they're doing this digital tsunami where he's surfing on like with like a wind uh, some kind of parachute thing and it's clearly CGI and it's bad CGI and then then there's the 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 ice hotel and the invisible car and I just felt okay you've taken it too far this yeah, time yeah exactly and, <laughs> it's too and, far it's too silly Holly Berry has no chemistry whatsoever with anything <laughs> you know barely you know you know aside from the orange bikini I can't think like she just seems to be disinterested in being in this film she has this kind of weird attitude that doesn't really mesh with the, the film mm. and you know because they were talking about maybe even spinning that character off into her own series Jinx and, yes j- but uh, you know she seemed to just have this weird disconnect from the character and from the film mm-hmm. it's, it's, it was strange to watch and see her I don't know if she thought she was being sassy or, or what the deal was but it just didn't register it was the wrong performance for this kind of film and she could have been great in it but she either the direction just didn't uh, mesh with her or she just didn't care. I'm not yeah. sure what went wrong there. Now, I know, Lucas, you've got a soft spot for this one. Yeah. Uh, I, I think all the things he mentioned that you disliked about it is the things I liked about it. <laughs> yeah. And, and only because it was so obvious that they weren't taking themselves seriously at all. Uh, and, and, I, and I think it was sort of a throwback to the Roger Moore where... I'm now going to get in my invisible car and I'm going to shoot the thing and oh there's a laser no problem I'm going to like get on my little you know and I'm going to surf this wave and and I kind of like yeah sure I'll go for that like to me that worked better than what they were doing trying to do before which was trying to make him gritty but not gritty and 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 serious but you know like that you know and, I, and obviously that's like a taste thing right yeah. Um, yeah but what I really liked about the first half of, of that movie was because it was for the 40th anniversary and and the, there was all these little nods to other things like oh there's tons of them yeah and, and that was lots of fun and I, I loved that uh, you know they were in North Korea and then they were in Cuba and mm-hmm. then the, you know they're tying these things in I mean the only thing that I really didn't like about it was the villain the villain was kind of like this annoying kind of like guy and then it was like it was, and it was diamond yeah. face <laughs> right. no, no no not that guy that, not was, that guy was okay because he kind of reminded me of the old Bond villain. Yeah. I, I mean the you know you don't you don't even remember the guy. Gustav Graves. Oh yes, oh, right. Gustav Graves. And who right. who incidentally played like a young Clint Eastwood in Space Cowboys, which oh. I rewatched recently. <laughs> and but yeah, but you know like that 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 kind of thing. Right. Yeah. All right. Wow. Well, that's interesting. You know, I, I think uh, it's funny how we we all have this passion for this franchise and yet uh, have come out from different perspectives. Uh, is there anything we haven't talked about uh, that we should say before we we pay our leave to uh, to Bond and 007? Uh, maybe the, the two orphan films, the, the Casino Royale, the '60s version, <laughs> and the, and uh, the that Rogue oh, never, film. Never say never, say never again. again. Yeah. Which I think is a lot of fun. It's weird seeing Roland Atkinson turn up as some uh, functionary of the British Secret Service. Yeah, but bef- long before Johnny English. But uh, I think, it, aside from the fact they can't really use the music and some of the other trademarks, I think it's still a pretty fun 
still a pretty fun action adventure movie with yes. Connery approximating Bond. I guess it gives it. He certainly gives it a little more authority than he did in his last couple of Bond. Yeah, hours, so. yeah. It's 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 great to see him in the tux again. Yeah, even though he's clearly much more clearly wearing a rug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some good some good rug work and some yeah. you know maybe some spanks or yeah. something. He's, he's a little heftier. Yes, but uh, you know at least he's. Under the, uh, free from the yoke of Cuppy Broccoli, yes. I guess. So, if the, now you've listened to us ramble on about Bond movies, was there anything you wanted to add to our uh, our our experience here? Things that we we might have uh, missed out. Well, I was going to just say about Never Say Never Again, and how uh, you know, looking back on it, and you know, realizing that it was uh, directed by uh, Ir- Irvin Kirshner. Yeah. Yes, that's right. You know, uh, from uh, Empire Strikes Back, and. Uh, uh, the uh, the DOP was um, uh, Douglas. Uh, I'm sure whoever did the Indiana Jones movies. So it's sort of like a who's who of, of stuff, and then you have Kim Basinger and, and these. You know, and I I really did enjoy it. Um, I probably enjoyed it more than Octopussy, which uh, they came out almost exactly yeah, the same yeah. time. Oh, I definitely like it more than Octopussy <laughs> yeah. for sure. Maybe yeah. just for the novelty of seeing Sean Connery in the role again. Yeah. Um, and Octopussy just kind of was. Well, I, I liked the the sequence in India, but Octopussy otherwise wasn't all that interesting. I have to say, at that point, I feel I felt like more had should have more should have stopped at uh, at Free Eyes Only. That that's my feeling. That that was the. Well, what about? <laughs> 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 you okay? What about the best I, movie? Uh, yeah. <laughs> see. You see, there you go. I, you know, yeah, well, there, there it is. We, right. we got these uh, different perspectives. Um, uh, Lucas, thanks so much for being on our, our little show here. Thanks for having me. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can contact us on Twitter at Lends Me Your Ears, all one word, or search for Lends Me Your Ears on Facebook. We're on Stitcher, and you can rate and review us on iTunes, and if you do, we'll give you a shout-out in a future episode. Our email is LendsMeYourEarsPodcast at gmail.com. I'm Karsten Knox, and my Twitter is at Karsten Knox. And I'm Stephen Cook, and my Twitter is at CH underscore S-C-O-O-K-E. Well, that's it. End of the mission briefing. We hope you enjoyed our look at the world of James Bond and 007. I hope you enjoyed this podcast that was for your ears only, and I hope we didn't bore the living daylights out of you. Lens Me Your Ears is hosted by Stephen Cook and Karsten Knox, and is produced in Halifax, Nova Scotia at Village Sound for the Village Soundcast Network. Lens Me Your Ears is engineered by Luke Badio and is produced by Dave Anderson and Jason Michael McIsaac. All music courtesy of Gypsophilia. Check out all of their amazing music, tour dates, and so much more at gypsophilia.org. Discover more great shows on the Village Soundcast Network by going to villagesoundcast.com. We can also be found on Twitter at vsoundcast and on Facebook by searching the Village Soundcast Network. Rate and review us on iTunes and you'll get a shout-out on an upcoming show. Send feedback to lendsmeyourearspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.